Hello, it is time again for Harpy Party. Today we are getting high and reading Proust, just like last time. And as always, apologies for my terrible French, pronunci French pronunciations and English pronunciations. They're all pretty bad. But here we go. That day, as for some days past, St. Loup had been obliged to go to Doncieres, where, until he returned there for good, he would be on duty now until late every afternoon. I was sorry that he was not at Baalbek. I had seen some young women who at a distance had seemed to me lovely, alighting from carriages and entering either the barroom of the casino or the ice cream shop. I was going through one of those phases of youth, devoid of any particular love, as it were in abeyance, in which at all times and in all places, as a lover but as a lover the women as a lover the woman by whose charm he is smitten. I don't know if that makes sense. We desire, we seek, we see beauty, capital B. Let but a single flash of reality, the glimpse of a woman from afar or from beyond, from behind, <laughs> enable us to project the image of beauty before our eyes, and we imagine that we have recognized it, our hearts beat, and we will always remain half persuaded that it is she, capital S, provided that the woman has vanished. Provided that the woman has vanished. It is only if we manage to overtake her that we realize our mistake. And that was one fucking sentence. That's a, I hate Proust. <laughs> Moreover, as I was becoming more and more unwell, I was inclined to overrate the simplest pleasures because of the very difficulty of attaining them. I seemed to see charming women all around me because I was too tired. If it was on the beach, too shy. If it was on the casino or at a pastry cook's, to go anywhere near them. And yet, if I was soon to die, I should have liked to know beforehand that the prettiest girls that life had to offer looked like at close quarters. In reality, even it should be, even if it should be another than myself or no one at all who was to take advantage of that offer, I did not, in fact, realize that a desire for possession, for the desire for possession, underlay my curiosity. I'm sorry, I'm doing really bad today. <laughs> I should have had the courage to enter the barroom if St. Loup had been with me. Left by myself, I was simply hanging about in front of the Grand Hotel until it was time for me to join my grandmother, when, still almost at the far end of the esplanade, esplanada, along which they projected a striking patch of color, I saw five or six young girls as different in appearance and manner from all the people one was accustomed to see at Baalbek as would have been a flock of gulls arriving from God knows where and performing with measured tread upon the sands, the dawdlers flapping their wings to catch up with the rest, a parade with the purpose of which seems as obscure to the human bathers whom they did not appear to see as it is, as it is clearly determined in their own British minds. This is difficult. <laughs> okay. One of these unknown girls was pushing a bicycle in front of her. Two others carried golf clubs, and their attire generally was in striking contrast to that of the other girls at Baalbek, some of whom, it was true, went in for sports, but without adopting a special outfit. It was the hour at which ladies and gentlemen come out every day for a stroll along the front, exposed to the merciless fire of the lorgnette uh, fashioned upon them, as if they had each borne some disfigurement which she felt it was it her duty to inspect and in its minutest details, by the senior judge's wife, proudly seated there with her back to this bandstand, in the middle of that dread line of chairs in which pres presently they two, actors turned critics, would come and establish themselves, to scrutinize in their turn the passing crowds. 
All these people who paced up and down the esplanade, reeling and lurching as heavily as if it had been the deck of a ship, for they could not lift a leg without at the same time waving their arms, turning their heads and eyes, squaring their shoulders, compensating by a balancing movement in one side of the movement, one side for the movement they had just made on the other, and puffing out their faces, pretended pretending not to see, so as to let it be thought that they were not interested in them, but covertly eyeing for fear of running into them, the people who were walking beside or coming towards them did in fact bump into them, become entangled with them, because each was mutually the object of the same secret attention veiled beneath the same apparent disdain, love, and consequently fear of the crowd being one of the most powerful motives in all human beings, whether they seek to please other people or to impress them, or to show that they despise them. In the case of the solitary, even if his seclusion is absolute and lifelong, it is often based on a deranged love of the crowd, which so far overrides every other feeling that unable to win the admiration of his hall porter, of the passers-by, of the cabman he hails when he goes out. He prefers not to be seen by them at all, and with that object abandons every activity that would oblige him to go out of doors. Holy fuck. Okay, I'm going to read that sentence again. Just that one sentence, because I did it. I did not do it justice. And I want you guys to understand what I'm dealing with in reading this fucking Proust. Okay, I think I found the beginning of the sentence. And there's just like, there's like a couple dozen commas and shit. Okay, here we go. All these people who paced up and down the esplanade, reeling and lurching as heavily as if it had been the deck of a ship, for they could not lift a leg without at the same time waving their arms, turning their heads and eyes, squaring their shoulders, compensating by compensating by a balancing movement on one side for the movement they had just made on the other, and puffing out their faces, pretending not to see, so as to let it be thought that they were not interested in them, but covertly eyeing for fear of running into them, the people who were walking beside or coming towards them, did in fact bump into them, become entangled with them, because each was mutually the object of the same secret attention veiled beneath the same apparent disdain, love, and consequently fear, of the crowd being one of the most powerful motives in all human beings, whether they seek to please other people or to impress them, or to show that they despise them. In the case of the solitary, even if, even if his seclusion is absolute and lifelong, it is often based on a deranged love of the crowd, which so far overrides every other feeling that, unable to win the admiration of his hall porter, of the passers-by, of the cabman he hails when he goes out, he prefers not to be seen by them at all, and with that object abandons every activity that would oblige him to go out of doors. That was one fucking sentence. Fuck, I'm too high for this shit. Okay, continuing on. In the midst of all these people, some of whom were pursuing a train of thought, but then betrayed its instability by the, a fitfulness of gesture and aberrancy of gaze as inharmonious as a circumspect titubation of their neighbors, the girls whom I had noticed, with a control of gesture that comes from the perfect suppleness of one's own body and a sincere contempt for the rest of humanity, were advancing straight ahead, without hesitation or stiffness, performing exactly the movements that they wished to perform, each of their limbs completely independent of the others, the rest of the body preserving that immobility which is so noticeable in good waltzers. They were now quite near me. Wow, that is the shortest sentence I've read yet. They were now quite near me. Although each was of a type absolutely different from the others, they all had beauty. But to tell the truth, I had seen them for so short a time, and without venturing to look hard at them, that I had not yet individualized any of them. 
except for one whose straight nose and dark complexion singled her out from the rest. Like the Arabian king in a Renaissance picture of the Epiphany, they were known to me only by a pair of hard, obstinate, and mocking eyes, for instance, or by cheeks whose pinkness had a coppery tint reminiscent of geraniums. And even these features I had not yet indis indissolubly attached to any one of these girls rather than to another, and then, according to the order in which the group met the eye, marvelous because the most difficult aspects were juxtaposed, because all the color scales were combined in it, but confused as a piece of music in which I was unable to isolate and identify at the moment of their passage the successive phrases no sooner distinguished than forgotten, I saw a pallid oval, black eyes, green eyes, emerge. I did not know if these were the same that had already charmed me a moment ago, I could not relate them to any one girl whom I had set apart from the rest and identified, and this want in my vision of the demarcations which I should presently establish between them permeated the group with a short sort of shimmering harmony with continuous transmutation of a fluid, collective and mobile beauty. <sighs> Catch my breath. It was not perhaps mere chance in life that, in forming this group of friends, had chosen them all so beautiful. Perhaps these girls, whose demeanor was enough to reveal their bold, hard, and frivolous natures, extremely aware of everything that was ludicrous or ugly, incapable of yielding to an intellectual or moral attraction, had naturally felt a certain repulsion for all those among the companions of their own age in whom a pensive or sensitive deposition was betrayed by shyness, awkwardness, constraint, by what they would regard as antipathetic and from such had held aloof, while attaching themselves conversely to others to whom they were drawn by a certain blend of grace, suppleness, and physical elegance, the only form in which they were able to picture a straightforward and attractive character in the promise of pleasant hours in one another's company. Perhaps, too, the class to which they belonged, a class which I should not have found it easy to define, was at that point in its evolution when, thanks other to its growing wealth and leisure, are to new sporting habits, now prevalent even among certain elements of the working class, and the habit of physical culture to which had not yet been added the culture of the mind, a social group comparable to the smooth and prolific schools of sculpture which have not yet gone in for tortured expression produces naturally and in abundance fine bodies, fine legs, fine hips, wholesome, serene faces with an air of agility and guile. And were they not Noble and calm models of human beauty that I beheld there, outlined against the sea, like statues exposed to the sunlight on a Grecian shore, question mark. I forgot where that sentence started. Just as if, within their little band, which progressed along the esplanade like a luminous comet, they had decided that the surrounding crowd was composed of beings of another race, not even whose sufferings could awaken in them any sense of fellowship. They appeared not to see them, force those who had stopped to talk to step aside as though from the path of a machine which had not been set going by itself and which could not be expected to avoid pedestrians and if some terrified or furious old gentleman whose existence they did not even acknowledge and whose contact they spurned took precipitate and ludicrous flight they merely looked at one another and laughed they had, for whatever did not form part of their group, no affection of contempt, no affectation of contempt, their genuine contempt was sufficient. But they could not set eyes on an obstacle without amusing themselves by clearing it, either in a running jump or with both feet together, because they were all brimming over with the exuberance that youth so urgently needs to expend that even when it is unhappy or unwell, 
obedient rather to the necessities of age than to the mood of the day. They can never let pass an opportunity to jump or to slide without indulging in it conscientiously, interrupting and interspersing even the slowest walk. His Chopin was his most melancholy phrase, with graceful deviations in which caprice is blended with virtuosity. The wife of an elderly banker, after hesitating between various possible exposures for her husband, had settled him in a deck chair facing the esplanade, sheltered from wind and sun by the bandstand. bandstand. Having seen him comfortably installed there, she had gone to buy a newspaper which she would read aloud to him by way of diversion, one of her little absences which she never prolonged for more than five minutes, which seemed to her quite long enough, but which she repeated at fairly frequent intervals so that this so that this old husband on whom she lavished an attention that she took care to conceal should have the pos should have the impression that he was still quite alive and like other people and like and like other people and was in no need of protection. You gotta make your husband think that he's still alive. The platform of the bandstand provided above his head a natural and tempting springboard across which, without a moment's hesitation, the eldest of the little band began to run. She jumped over the terrified old man, whose yachting cap was brushed by her nimble feet to the great delight of the other girls, especially of a pair of green eyes in a doll-like face, which expressed for that bold act an admiration and a merriment in which I seemed to discern a trace of shyness, a shamefaced and blustering shyness which did not exist in the others. Oh, the poor old boy, I feel sorry, I feel sorry for him. He looks half dead said a girl in a husky voice with more sarcasm than sympathy. They walked on a little way and then stopped for a moment in the middle of the road, oblivious of the fact that they were impeding the passage of other people in an agglomerate that was at once irregular in shape, compact, weird, and shrill. Like an assembly of birds before taking flight, then they resumed their leisurely stroll along the esplanade against the background of the sea. By this time, their charming features had ceased to be indistinct and jumbled. I had dealt them like cards into so many heaps to compose, failing their names, of which I was still ignorant, the tall one who had jumped over the old banker, the little one silhouetted against the horizon of the sea with her plump and rosy cheeks and green eyes, the one with a straight nose and dark complexion who stood out among the rest, another with a face as white as an egg in which a tiny nose described an arc of a circle like a chicken's beak, a face such as one sometimes sees the very young, sometimes sees in the very young, Yet another, also tall, wearing a hooded cape, which gave her so shabby an appearance and so contradicted the elegance of the figure beneath that the explanation which suggested itself was that this girl must have parents of high position who valued their self-esteem so far above the visitor, other, so far above the visitors to Baalbek and the sartorial elegance of their own children, that it was a matter of the utmost indifference to them that their daughter should stroll on the front, stroll on the front dressed in a way which humbler people would have considered too modest. A girl with brilliant, laughing eyes and plump, matte cheeks, a black polo cap crammed on her head, who was pushing a bicycle with such an uninhibited, uninhibited swing of the hips, and using slang terms so typically of the gutter and shouted so loud when I passed her, although among her expressions, I call that tiresome phrase, living one's own life, that abandoning the hypothesis which her friend's hooded cape had prompted me to formulate, I concluded instead that all these girls belonged to the population which frequents the racing tracks. It must be the very juvenile mistresses of professional by professional cyclists. In any event, none of my suppositions embrace the possibility of their being virtuous. At first sight, in a way in which they looked in the way in which they looked at one another and laughed, in the insistent stare of the one which the matte complexion I had grasped that they were not 
I had grasped that they were not, period. Okay. Besides, my grandmother had always watched over me with a delicacy too tremulous for me not to believe that the sum total of the things one ought not to do is indivisible and that girls who are lacking in respect for their elders would not suddenly be stopped short by scruples in at the prospect of pleasures more tempting than that of jumping over an octogenarian. Okay, I think I'm going to call it. I'm, my edible is kicking in pretty well. And so we're going to call it here. Um, we are reading from Proust, Remembrance of Things Past. This is the definitive French Pleiade edition, translated by C.K. Scott, Scott Moncrief and Terence Kilmartin. This is from Volume 1, Within a Budding Grove, page 845 to 851. We did not get very far. But thank you for listening to Harpy Party, and goodbye.